Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 418. I am super excited to welcome back a guest to the show, although no stranger to the show, Sarah's mom, Patsy. Yay! <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you, Stacey. I will say, um, like most shows that I am excited about, this one started out with me saying something to the effect of, how in the world are we going to survive virtual schooling? Sarah, it's not fair that you have this insider information. <laughs> you must bring your mom onto the show to share mm-hmm. her knowledge with our listeners, who are many of whom um, starting this for the very first time. But yeah. your mom has been doing this for a very long time. So I feel like her expertise is much needed. Um, yeah, I think this was a really, this for me, mom, this was super fun to, to have you on the show and actually have you like shop talk for an hour because, uh, for our listeners, my, uh, mom has been a, a distance education virtual school teacher for most of the last 27 years. And so, uh, she's been an amazing resource for us personally, as we've navigated this new learning environment for our kids and um, we've had a lot of conversations where we've veered into uh, pedagogy and right the different sort of philosophy when you're teaching online versus teaching in person. And I know I just really felt like, Mom, you have a lot of really valuable insight to share with our listeners because this is such a, I think it's the newness of virtual school and all of the different challenges that that creates for parents who are now multitasking in a brand new way that they've never done before is a stressor that is just like, it's one more straw on the camel's back. And so whatever we can do to um, help people sort of navigate this, this new reality for however long we are doing school from home with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think is really helpful. Um, Mom, I know that it was really important for you to have a caveat here um, that we are having you on the show to share your experience as a distance ed teacher and that you're not here representing any particular educational institutions. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, and also just so exciting for me to be allowed to talk shop talk for uh, a you know good length of time without eyes rolling. So. <laughs> well, you can't you can't see all the eyes rolling if they are. Okay, so, so. right. <laughs> yeah, even better. Right. If My eyes are... aren't rolling. <laughs> <laughs> and Stacy's eyes roll a lot, so we're in good shape. <laughs> Almost a hundred percent of the time. I think even in my sleep. So. <laughs> well, well, yesterday, yesterday, Stacy, I listened to the podcast. Uh, about um, being at home with children with ADHD and ADHD and um, and listened to you talking about, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I thought, oh, I'm so excited to be sharing because I have like so many of our kids that have been coming to distance ed for years and years and years 
can't function in a regular school system and have been diagnosed with ADHD or, or ADD. And um, they, the number of times over these years that I've had parents say, if only we had known about distance education before because it's it just made all the difference to their kids so i think you're in for something i i mean i'm biased but i think you're in for a really <laughs> a really exciting experience so biased or well, not i think you just gave me and a whole lot of people hope that maybe it won't be <laughs> as bad as we're imagining i know a lot of people um actually started school this week i know um, I think, Sarah, you've already yeah. started, but for we started me, Monday. we don't start until September 8th. So I have been in complete denial about the whole thing. <laughs> like just, they, um, the school was supposed to start, uh, I think, the 25th here in the States, August 25th. But um, our county pushed it back two weeks to give the teachers time to figure out. And that's, I mean, that's another thing is, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the perception for students and, and what it's like for us parents. But I do want to give a shout out to all the teachers who didn't sign up to be distance learning teachers and who are now trying to make the most of it. So I'm sure, Patsy, you've got lots of knowledge to share with everyone. Um, and I appreciate you bringing positivity to it because that's something I've been uh, unable to find myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I have to say that uh, listening to my colleagues over the last few months who are in the regular, uh, what we call brick and mortar schools, and um, the, the enthusiasm, the dedication and commitment that they are bringing to this task is really exciting. It's really exciting. I, just, yeah, sh absolutely. Shout, shout out to all those colleagues and to imagine that this, we're talking all around the world, everywhere. It's quite amazing. It's I actually saw an estimate that uh, in a news article that there was approximately 1 billion students who were going to be going to school in a virtual environment this fall uh, globally, which is a mind-boggling wow. number. Yeah. It yeah. certainly is, isn't it? And And, you know, it's so exciting that like for us, like I was reading some stuff about the um, pandemic in 1918 and how society had to completely shut down everything. And the difference now, <clears throat> we have children who are used to being online, children who are used to social networking, teachers who are used to being online, teachers who are used to social networking, um, even, you know, even all of these kids and you know, teachers and students who have been in um, the regular school system all this time, right? Or I shouldn't say regular school system, brick and mortar school system. Um, and it's, it's really, we're so fortunate. And that, you know, when I think about when I was first uh, doing, um, like the very first distance education I did was just booklets. And then we got to teleconferencing. And then we got to these clunky, clunky old IBM computers, you know, um, that were more technology getting in the way um, mm. than anything else. And the technology has gotten to the point where it pretty much disappears. It pretty much disappears or can disappear. 
and the kids and teachers and everybody can just focus on learning. So, um, you know, we, we're primed for this. We're primed to be able to embrace this solution. So that's pretty exciting. We're, we're, we've got a lot of things going for us in a really positive way. Maybe it so, would help. I'm sorry. I just was going to say, kids, maybe it would help kids our already, Kids already love being on computers, right? That's They're true. coming to this with, like, their favorite toy that parents have been complaining about for years. I can't get them off the computer, right? So they're coming to this with like, oh, I'm going to be on the computer all day, you know? So true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess one of my questions will be, and how do I get them uh, to actually focus on that? Because when they were distance learning at the end of last year, I did catch more than one child more than once having a split screen up of something else they were doing yep. rather than focused on the teacher. So um, yep. maybe it would be helpful, though, if we just kind of started with the difference between all these things, because I know you've referenced um, distance education versus some other terms. Um, can you maybe just set the groundwork for that? Sure. Vocabulary is important. Um, like all fields of work, you know, you, you, you make stages through the vocabulary that you use in your work. And a term like distance education is one of the, um, one of the oldest terms. Uh, I think the first term that was used was correspondence school. And we're looking way back in, um, in America at 1728. Wow. when the first correspondence courses were available. And um, those were uh, business courses, you know, um, you know, for people who wanted to learn shorthand and stuff like that. And then, um, and then the first time the phrase distance education appears in the literature is in 1892. So, and, and that was through the University of Wisconsin. And so that's a very old phrase. And I guess as educators, we like to think that we're transforming and keeping up with society. So we have kind of moved the, um, the terminology forward. So uh, in, in Florida, they started using the term um, virtual schools right around the time that I started teaching about 30 years ago, 20, 20 to 30 years ago. And um, then we gradually got into um, online learning, starting to use that term. And that right now is the term, like that is the current term that we're switching to. I teach in British Columbia, and that's the term that we're moving to. So for about 10 years, we played with the term distributed learning. Um, and uh that kind of was a failure in terms of people, the general public understanding it. Yeah. So I'm distributing, pretty, distributing it how? Evenly across something? I always thought it sounded like, you know, 52 card pickup, you know. Oh. Like, we just throw everything into the air and hope something sticks. Um, yeah, so. so <laughs> That's so kind we, of what it feels like for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that might be why we did that. That might be why we did that. Um, so now the, the general term that we use uh, is online learning, but we're still kind of switching between online learning and distance education. And 
those two terms mean the same thing. Um, we also talk about blended learning and we talk about face-to-face -face learning. So blended learning is the learning where some of it, your course is online and there are a lot of schools because they're trying to reduce class size that are going to a blended learning model where they will have uh, half the class come in uh, two or three times a week and the other half of the class come in at a different time and then the rest of the time will be um, on their own in the schools, you know, in, I mean at home uh, doing whatever tasks have been assigned. So, and then you've got the term asynchronous and synchronous. I'm just doing the vocabulary rundown here because it pops out of my mouth. Sorry. I think it's so, I think it's so important because I think the vocabulary around virtual schools, like n understanding the terminology that's being used, makes the entire uh, challenge seem more approachable. If we can actually understand as we're looking at how uh, you know, because our listeners. Every school district is set up a little bit differently, and often it's every school or even every grade within a school is approaching this in a different way, right? There's no one system that's being adopted nationally or internationally. So I think, you know, setting the groundwork for the vocabulary really helps to, like, lay this foundation to be able to get in and talk about how to really set up our kids for success. So I, I think it's great. Let's let's okay. get through all the vocabulary. So, uh so I'll go the asynchronous and synchronous. Mm -hmm. So synchronous means we're doing it all at the same time together. So students might be working on a Zoom call with their teacher and other students, and uh, but they they're all meeting at ten in the morning, you know, and uh, they're all together in that uh, uh, environment for twenty minutes or thirty minutes or however long it is, and then asynchronous learning is when you're not doing it at the same time, you're doing it at your own pace, you're doing it uh, at the time of day that works for you. Um, and uh, having a blended model like that is really lovely in terms of uh, the, the synchronous provides that social interaction, um, learning social responsibility and learning, you know, all of the social skills that we want uh, good citizens to learn. And then the asynchronous is really helping students to work at their individual level at their, it's the, it's the ideal place to create accommodations and modifications. So accommodations is when we uh, change the curriculum, change the assignments a little bit, but to individualize for students, and um, so an accommodation would be a student who has a great deal of difficulty uh, reading on a computer screen. So we might give them a narrator of some sort. There's quite a few free narrators. Um, there's, there's reading, um, uh, reading tools on most computers so that it'll read aloud whatever text is on the screen. And that, that, so that would be an accommodation because the student is still doing the same work. And then a modification is for students who are super, super, super struggling. Like they just, this is overwhelming. And ide ideally and often um, modifications are made for students who are uh, suffering an extreme amount of anxiety 
about, mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic, being online, everything changing around them, um, or uh, or students who have r- really uh, distinct uh, learning challenges. So, so th- that's really the vocabulary that I think uh, I'm most likely to throw out there. So let's start big picture and um, and just sort of summarize, Mom, what you think the biggest challenges are going to be for students and families in general as they move into uh, whether it's a fully online or a blended part online, part in-person, part synchronous, part asynchronous learning environment. Okay, sure. So the place that I usually like to start is the role of the person that we call the home facilitator. So that is the parent or guardian. Sometimes it's a grandparent. Sometimes it's an older sibling. Um, You know, oftentimes we'll have families that have kids in university and kids in elementary school, you know, kids in grade 12 and kids in in, uh, grade two or three. Um, So the home facilitator role is incredibly important. Um, You have your children uh, learning from home now, and it's a pandemic. This isn't forever, but you're going to have to take on a huge supportive role. And this might not always be easy because some kids, you know, just do not do homework well with their parents. Um, but it's one of those tasks that you're going to have to work through and, and relationship build around. So I like to say to parents, whatever grade your child is at right now, you are redoing that grade now. Mm. If, if your child is in grade five, this year you are in grade five too. And you will know the curriculum and go through the details of the curriculum Uh, pretty much at the same level that your child is going through. So um, set up your child, make sure that they have a space that works for them and make sure that you're having conversations with them where your child is participating and being involved in the decisions that are being made around where they are going to work in the home. So the kinds of uh, learning classrooms, I'm using air quotes here, uh, that parents and families set up in their home is stuff like uh, setting up on the kitchen table, setting up on the dining room table, setting up in their bedroom, setting up on a beanbag chair in the living room with a coffee table to hold the extra um, materials. Um, Garages have been turned into little mini classrooms. Basically, students all have different comfort areas where they learn the best and let them try out what they think is going to work and then set a time for reassessing it. Probably like some kids are really work well with music, like what you were saying about a split screen. Some kids work really well having um, that social contact you know, a chat bar down the side where they are chatting back and forth with a friend. And a lot of the learning management systems allow for that, um, that social interaction while they're learning. Some kids, that's extremely important. Some kids are so grateful for not having all of that distraction, 
happening during the day. So really that is very individual and it's a great opportunity for kids uh, to learn how to assess what kind of learning environment they are most comfortable in. And if you can together work through that conversation of what learning environment works best for the student and consider the social interaction, um, consider how well they are doing with their assignments using this learning environment that they've created and uh, consider how much help they need using this learning environment that they've created. Um, then, then you are teaching those kids to self-assess and you're teaching them to be very aware of who they are as learners, which is a really powerful thing that kids can be learning right now. That's considered a 21st century learning skill um, that just carries over into the rest of your um, future just so well and the kinds of occupations that we're probably, and the kind of working environments that we're probably leading into in the future. So um, those are very powerful skills. And I would say that they, it tends to be that first two weeks, if you've never been in online before, it can feel like chaos. It can feel like this is not going to work. But uh, be patient, be kind to yourself, parents, kids, teachers, um, because after about two weeks, everything kind of settles down and you start to get into your groove and, and you go, oh, yeah, I might tweak a little bit here or tweak a little bit there. But basically, I've got this. I, I've got this. And it seems to take two weeks. Um, and also make sure that you ask for help. Um, <laughs> make sure you ask for help when you need help. Yeah, we, we had um, the way that they've set up the online environment for our kids in our school district. So they're doing about half time synchronous, um, which is mostly like instructional time by video and then half time is asynchronous. So they have assignments that will be due in the, it's like three days. So that gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of when they're doing their asynchronous work, which we're really grateful for because it helps, you know, my kids are, um, they have strong opinions about time management, let's put it that way. Um, but one of the things that they've done, which I think is really neat, is they have an, an entire section of this online platform that is just for communication between parents or whoever else is uh, facilitating education at home and the teachers and we have had especially because they had technological issues especially the first like half day that they started as you know is normal when you're launching a brand new you know virtual learning platform um it's it was i've really enjoyed being able to um see that immediate communication i actually feel more connected with what my kids are doing in school so far in a couple of days than I think I ever have in, in their education so far. That's exciting. That's exciting. And, and you know, for a teacher, uh, from the teacher's perspective, um, I love that it can be synchronous. You have an option, whether it's synchronous so that you are able to respond to the parent in real time, maybe say, hey, this is a bigger uh, topic, can we meet in Zoom really quickly? And, you know, like I have a, I have some time right now or I have some time at two o'clock. Do you have time at two o'clock? You know, uh, so it's either like that or 
Um, I, as a teacher, can uh, go in first thing in the morning, last thing at night, you know, at a, at a different time of the day. Um, so often in the regular classroom, at the end of the school day, you'll have a lineup of parents who want to have a quick word with the teacher, whether it's about, you know, a gym strip or, or whether it's about math homework or whether, you know, whatever it's about, um, the daily journal or something. And at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You've been super, super patient with this 28 kids all day. And you really just need to breathe. You just really need to breathe. And yet there's a lineup of parents. So it's really lovely to have that. Um, everybody has the expectation that we can communicate and we're going to communicate when it works for everybody. So um, that's a really nice um, change that, that this brings about that has the potential to roll over to post-pandemic kind of um, learning environments and the communication between home and school. Do you, do you have any specific um, recommendations for, um, you know, the how to uh, set up the technology piece at home? Um, a lot, I think a, what's challenging for a lot of uh, students and parents is, um, you know, learning platforms, but that maybe they've, they've never learned before. Um, you know, it's, it's a different, I, I feel like going from, we're using some, um, online, you know, some, some, some types of online resources, mm -hmm. uh, as a, as an adjunct to this education, right. We're, versus everything's online. It, it, can feel like it's a much bigger challenge. So mm -hmm. do you have specific recommendations just in terms of that technology piece? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing is that every child needs to have their own computer. And that computer needs to have a good keyboard and a good screen and good connection to the internet. And it needs to have the software uh, that they are going to need. Now, we use all of the Google software. A lot of my students use all of the Google software because it's free and it um, it's compatible with, this, like I use Word and all of those kind of things. And, and so um, it's compatible. So it's compatible if a teacher's on a Mac and it's compatible if a teacher's on a PC. So Ha but having all of that software and having access really um, available easily is really important. It's really important. A lot of parents are terrified of having their kids online all day. They're terrified that their kids are going to go to sites that are dangerous. It's really important not to load up the computer with so much security that kids can't do anything on their computer. Yeah. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And it adds so much frustration to the learning that before long you have an uncooperative student and a student who is resisting doing anything. So um, I just use Windows Defender on my PC. That's enough security. And then from there, it's really important skill to teach your kids to not open a link when they get an email that might be a virus, you know, all of those kind of keep your computer safe. And if you do land, you know, and, and learn how to do searches that are safe searches so that you're not going to end up finding websites that are pretty bizarre. 
Um, most <laughs> so let's put so delicately. Pretty yeah, bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So our most, listeners know what you mean. Yeah, most of our search engines are pretty good now with um, protecting us from that sort of stuff. But kids are really good at breaking software. So, so. Um, <laughs> But teaching kids and being aware, you as like part of your job as a home facilitator is to be checking in and knowing what your child is doing on the computer, you know, and it doesn't have to be a war, but it can be a, oh, I see this is happening right now. What is the goal right now? Um, so you know, Stacey, I, Stacey, I don't remember that, that being like the goal. So much. Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of like. I'm trying hard to not be negative because I need to make this work. And you know that my life philosophy for 2020 is to be a problem solver. But I I do want to acknowledge that it is a privilege for a person to be home and to be able to provide that kind of supervision that we're talking about. And for most people, myself included, it means that I'm sacrificing my job in order to provide that um, oversight as the administrator at home. And I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around the balance of, you know, it's been important for me, for my children to see that I work and that I work hard. And that is how we have the things in our life that they need to acknowledge is, um, is a privilege, right? Like, and there are children who are being asked to virtually learn who don't have all of the equipment that you talked about, who don't have, you know, a quality computer with, um, a working headset or a keyboard and, you know, like all these things that really set kids up for success, um, or whose parent might not be home. And so I think it would be, really helpful for me. I understand like the, um, the ideal scenario as being something that kids could thrive in. Um, I guess if we could talk a little bit about, okay, what is like, I can't provide, I can't regularly check in on all four of my children every day and still be effective in my job. And for most parents, if they are working from home, they can't do that either. Right. So, um, suggestions that you have to either kind of work with the teacher or a cadence or, you know, different kinds of things that maybe, um, could be a middle ground (laughs) because I'm, you know, it's, it sounds so wonderful, but in reality, I know that won't be what happens. Well, you know, and that is the huge challenge, Stacy. because what we're talking about is not necessarily people of privilege socioeconomically, because I have a lot of um, families who, you know, are parents are disabled and they're at home because they cannot work and there's no money. Um, so, you know, getting that equipment I mean, my own personal opinion is that it's the responsibility of um, our education system to make sure that kids have that equipment and to make sure that they have that internet access and that it's on it's provided on a need basis. That um, that that is something that um, 
you know, government needs to throw money at. Um, you know, that that's an area that needs needs to be. We're in a situation where there's this incredible um, unemployment rate and people don't have the money to throw at extras, right? And so, you know, it makes sense to cut your bills down to nothing and why not get rid of the internet bill, right? So, the, so those are problems that need to be solved and we don't know how long this is gonna last. So people need to, you know, um, open the pocketbook and, and make sure that those kids don't get left further behind. That's absolutely a viable thing. The kinds of solutions, um, see where in my work, like I, I mean, I can't answer your questions. I think those are all really important questions. But in, in the experience that I have as a distance ed teacher, I often will have students who come to distance ed, um, you know, the, the traditional form of distance ed, because they, the situation in the face-to-face -face school was just intolerable. They were not surviving. And it's been heroic, um, the efforts that parents have made to, um, to, to make it work for their kids. And I've had parents who go to shift work so that one parent will work, you know, day shift, one parent will work night shift. And, you know, whichever parent is at home, they are the home facilitator then. Uh, those families usually find it works, if they're a two-parent family, those families usually find it works to have one parent uh, responsible for one group of courses and the other parent responsible for the other group of courses. And so that kind of determines the scheduling that kids are going to be on. So if dad is doing English and then I'm doing my English while dad's around and is close to um, answer questions. So we've found that a lot of parents are taking shifts with helping their kids with schoolwork. And that's that's why the asynchronous piece is so important. I do also have concerns about the um, the ability of kids to pace at a teacher's pace with due dates. Um, when I was doing my um, my master's, one of my professors had just won an international award for best uh, education research. And the research was uh, computer-mediated learning environments, which means kids working on computers. And the research showed that the least effective thing that, um, that a teacher could do was set due dates. And the most effective thing that teachers could do was this whole array of other things that were negotiating with the student, setting up um, opportunities for the student to be learning. Um, I mean, they're still learning their learning outcomes that are defined by the curriculum, but even those, they can be so broad and so open that a child can have a lot of choice within that topic. And they can have a lot of choice of how to represent their work. And they can have a lot of choice of, do I work with a friend? Do I work with my grandfather? Do I work with, you know, who do I work with? And 
all of those things are so much more successful for the student as a learner than setting a due date. And the due date really adds a lot of stress to a family that is already, as you say, trying to work from home, uh, trying to manage four kids, trying to um, manage an income that has severely depleted, you know, still trying to um, cope with the health issues that everybody is so terrified of and um, and so many families are actually facing directly. So, um, so having, you know, having a well-designed learning environment is so important and recognizing really quickly what is not working and trying to find that solution to find things that do work. Uh, that's what I've found is that families can be very, very, very creative. I've had families who, um, you know, they own a restaurant, probably not now, but they did own a restaurant uh, and their child, their student came and did work in the office. I had a family that ran a nursing home um, and they had, uh, you know, they lived in a portion of the house and the other portion of the house was for um uh, disabled adults. And so their child uh, helped out a lot during the day um, when staff were having breaks and whatever. And um, so their, their amount of time to do schoolwork was quite depleted if you were looking at a school day that is, you know, nine till three. So having that flexibility to, um, to incorporate everybody's life realities into the school day is just really important. And I would say that communicating that with the teacher and asking, you know, what, what can we do to make this work? This is the reality that we're living in right now. And, and communicating with an employer, the same thing, like this is the reality that I'm living in right now. And what can I, you know, what can you do? And I would hope, you know, I remember, you know, Sarah, when we, when you were a really little kid, we had those neighbors next door that you used to love to go and visit. And the, the husband had been a young, you know, 20 year old man um, during the, uh, the Great Depression. And he was a mechanic and there were two mechanics that worked at this uh, uh, gas station. And they didn't have the money because there's no gas. I mean, those were the days of here in Canada. We called them the Bennett buggy. People were were attaching horses to the front of cars and pulling cars because the the you know the fuel distribu distribution had gotten so bad. So so what? Because he was the better mechanic, and he was uh, more experienced. The boss said, "Well, you know, I, I got to offer you the job." first but this other mechanic had a family with three kids so they both needed to eat and so they figured out how they could take the money that was available to pay a salary to pay both men to come and work and and get paid what they needed to be paid so that everybody in both groups could be fed and that's the kind of cooperation that um you know, models what I, I, I think, you know, the best of us could, could achieve at this point. I think it's worthwhile um, 
emphasizing that one of the things that the virtual school environment is doing in America is um, really um, making very visible the uh, inequities in, say, access to technology, to the internet that were already there. There are a lot of um, because um, education here is all administered on a on, a lo on the local level, um, there are a lot of places that are, um, for example, our schools have a program where um, they are providing devices for students to learn on on a, a need basis. Um, but um, I want to encourage our listeners: if you are um, maybe you have an old laptop in a closet that's collecting dust. Um, if you have an ability to reach out to your local schools and either donate a device or donate um, money towards that school or that school district, purchasing devices for kids that need um, in need, that is um, a really amazing thing that um, you can do to help to to fix these inequities because it there's just at this point um, you know, school districts do not have the resources they need to be able to provide devices or like Wi-Fi hotspots for all of the kids that need them. Yeah, that I mean, and that that inequity is is the real fear here is that the privileged kids will have a leg up and the um, and the the families with challenges with economic challenges will get further behind. You know, and as a society, yeah, I agree. That's a good idea, Sarah. I appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk through that. I think one of the things that I and probably many other parents are struggling with is that idea of change, right? Like I always liken it back to that book from years and years ago that I read because some CEO told me to, which was like, who moved the cheese or, or something like that, right? Like we all have a difficult time with change and you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that this is not what I anticipated when I left corporate America <laughs> a year and a half ago. Like I did not anticipate being even an at-home parent, let alone like the caretaker. So, um, you know, life has been very different for me and I'm sure for a lot of people. And I think I, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of break down, um, what other people have done to make sacrifices for the education of their children and what a, a privilege just being educated is when we look at this from a global perspective. And I think that's a good reminder for me to, you know, suck it up and <laughs> whether I have to like wake up early to get my, some of my work done because I, I need to be more um, uh, on top of, all of the children that I have that are going to be virtually schooling, that's, that might be just what I need to do. And that's, that's, I don't know, it's just a hard pill for me to swallow, but your perspective was very helpful. So I appreciate that. Well, there's also, when you're talking about all of those kids, um, I, I know quite a few families who have found it very effective for the parent to start the day with the kids and to have um, kids working together at a dining room table um, so that they know before they start, they know exactly what it is that they're going to be achieving today. 
Um, this is for the asynchronous part, the part that they're not on Zoom with their teacher. But having them all working together, and this is our work time together, and they help each other. You know, the older kids help the younger kids. The older kid reads to the younger child. The younger child listens as, you know, can you listen to my essay? Um, I need to practice this. I need to know that this was, you know, is written in, a, in smoothly and understandable. Can you understand that? Um, and so they become, you know, audience and helper, so, which are really important roles um, in, in, an in a classroom situation, in a learning situation, so that, um, uh, so they can help each other as well, right? And they can help keep each other on task and just be really clear on what the goal is, you know, on what the goal is. And, um, you know, there are ways of setting this up to minimize the need for parent um, contact. The, the only thing that I would caution is that I have had experiences where um, the older child ends up babysitting the younger kids and that doesn't, that's not very effective for the older kid. It works great for the younger kids. Um, but then also that recognition that basically right now everything is normal. <laughs> everything is normal. None of us know how to do this. None of us know how to do this change into a pandemic. And I think if we are just aware of and notice what's happening and um, stay calm and be kind and, you know, breathe our way through it, <laughs> that um, and tomorrow we can start afresh. I think, you know, doing this peacefully is is probably um, for a lot of families the best that they can hope to achieve. And and that's huge. That's huge. If what you learn during this pandemic is that um, I can stay calm and I can I can do this, I can survive this, then that's that's going to help in your future too. If I can continue to have relationships, positive, good relationships with the people in my family and uh, get through this together. I know one of the conversations that we've had in the home when we've talked about um, you know, just the the academic experience of virtual school. I know that, um, especially Adele going into um, eighth grade math this year, um, really felt like she couldn't remember what she learned in the last quarter of last year very well. And I think it was because of um, having to do that transition to virtual school kind of on the fly. At first, they were just going to do it for three weeks and they were doing like a circling pattern. And then they realized they had to finish out the school year, but they were doing it in um, these like less than half a day. And so they didn't do the kind of uh, review and practice that would have helped those math concepts really stick for her. And we've just had the conversation that this is the ubiquitous experience now. Um, you know, it is, it is going to be something that like y you kids will catch up. There will be a time where we return to in-person schooling and, um, and the, the most important thing is to, you know, for us to all do the best we can in this situation now and recognize that, um, that these challenges are, you know, maybe different shades of them, but they're, they're challenges that we're all experiencing together and we're all going to have the same, you know, oh, we only actually went through maybe three quarters of the curriculum 
um, you know, we have this catch up to play and, and, you know, you'll catch up at some point and it'll just be there. There will be this accommodation in the future for all of the kids who are in your grade this year. And there'll be different accommodation for all of the kids who are in a different grade or who were in college. And it'll just, it'll just be a thing that there's this like long tail afterwards. So don't worry about this not being normal. Don't worry about this being a, you know, a different type of rigor in terms of, of how you're um, going through the curriculum. Um, you know, like do the best you can with how, like how this is right now. And um, we'll worry about, you know, how this, uh, you know, changes your college applications <laughs> in five years when that's a thing that we're doing. Like it's, it's, um, it's okay to do the best that we can for our current situation. Um, and I know that that it's something that a lot of parents are worried about is that their their kids falling behind. Um, so I don't know if you have specific thoughts about how um, how how teaching may or may not be as effective for for these students. Like how I've heard a lot of people talking about oh, I want my kid to go in person because they're going to learn so much better in person. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I love that question. So part of that issue is that people are inclined, they lean towards passive absorption, passive absorption of the materials when they're working alone online. It's between, the learning is between them and their computer or them and their piece of paper. In the regular classroom, there is a lot of opportunity to discuss every concept verbally with the class. And so we, we really need to include that piece so that they are actively participating with their learning. And that includes um, uh, telling people about what you've learned. So that's, that's in part helped by the home facilitator having a conversation. That's in part helped with uh, students having um, a conversation with other students and, and talking with other students about their learning and maybe having a, a study group that they um, say, hey, you know, I'm doing this math and uh, question 13, um, you know, talk me through how you did that and I'll talk you through how I did it. And then, and that's going to consolidate that learning and it's going to consolidate it in memory much better than just answering questions and doing 10 questions and then submitting it to the teacher. Uh, that's the difference between what happens in school and what happens, you know, in the face-to-face -face environment. And you can emulate that using um, Zoom, using um, text, uh, using FaceTime with your friends. So the having that social connection with other students who are helping you to learn and who you are helping to learn is really important. And that can also be done at that dining room table that I was talking about with the older kids and the younger kids talking with each other about, their learn about what they're learning. Um, that's a very important piece that we need to build into the learning environment for kids who are learning online and um, at home or wherever it is that they're 
doing this. Um, there was another part of your question. Uh, you're going to have to. Oh, uh, no, I think I no, I think you really answered it because now I have like two. I want to branch off into two different directions. Okay. Um, so so let's let's uh, let, let's just go left first. Um, so <laughs> I, it's just arbitrary which one's left and That's which one's right. right. Yeah. We'll branch upwards. Um, so. Uh, one of the things that you sort of mentioned was um, the need to engage students in active learning online. I think that it's one of the experiences we certainly like it's made the national news um, for uh, our local schools in the spring having really poor attendance so um, that kids it wasn't mandatory for them to go and so they just didn't and they checked out completely and then how those schools are trying to uh, create an environment where those kids are engaged back in learning and they're just some kids who um, you know I think it was a different challenge in the spring when we thought this was going to be a short period of time than what it is now when we're looking at you know like we've we're prepared for this to potentially be the entire school year. I, I hope it's not, but um, we're planning for that because it's easier to plan for that now than to be, you know, constantly extending something that's not made for long-term. Um, and so, uh, you know, my question here is like, how do you get, especially those older kids who you sort of anticipate are going to be more independent learners. Like by the time they're in high school, you kind of do want to let them just go off into their bedroom and go to school themselves. How do you, how do you encourage those kids to really engage with online learning when they're more inclined not to? Okay. So what we found was in the spring, um, Probably because the kids were stuck at home with not very much to do. In my school, we were overwhelmed with kids sending in assignments and sending like really excellent assignments. And then we had some kids who were gaming, who just jumped into the gaming. And then about oh, the third week of May, uh, contacted me and said, I'm really sorry I've been gaming, um, but I'm ready to do my schoolwork now. And um, I just, well, okay, see what you can get done. And they got it all done. So you have the kids, much like when you talk about, um, you know, autoimmune protocol, people doing a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, little change, little change, little change, or they do it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with kids focusing on schoolwork. And it's another reason why I don't find due dates very helpful because it's a really common thing for students to dive deep and do a ton of work in two weeks or, or in a month and do a ton of work, like an outrageously amazing amount of work in a month but have done nothing before. And as soon as they're finished doing that, whatever they set as their goal, you know, doing nothing in terms of schoolwork, they're doing other stuff at the other times. Um, and then you have the students who uh, pace themselves evenly as they go along and, and get it done. So that's something that I think we need to be very aware of. And 
I know somebody at some point in time told me, oh, well, those kids that do it all at the last minute, those are journalists in the making because those are those people that are, you know. Deadline driven. Yeah, they, yeah, deadline driven. They get that information and, and you know, they're waiting for the story and the story hits and away they go. Um, so, so that's a really important thing to recognize that just because a student is being super off task for a while doesn't mean that they're going to continue to be off task. And it's this environment is the environment where students learn a lot about themselves, about what motivates them, about their commitment and how they develop an independent work ethic and how they develop as independent learners. And those are 21st century skills. Those are skills that you can take forward into a career. Those are, those are courses, those are, those are things that you can learn um, that are going to be useful for, for your lifetime. That, you know, we, we go from this model of an economy where there's the boss and everybody does what the boss says, and we're moving towards this economy where people are their own bosses. And to be successful, you need to know how to do that. You need to know how to be an independent thinker. You need to know how to be independently motivated and committed to your tasks. And so, and that's not necessarily a skill that kids are developing as easily in the brick and mortar school as they seem to develop in the um, distance ed online environment. So it'll be interesting to see now that everybody is a distance ed student how that changes the stats, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's also a good point, um, and Sarah, what you mentioned earlier, that um, this idea of kind of getting behind, one of the things that I keep reminding myself is that everyone is in the same boat. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, goals and optimization and different kinds of things like that. But I, I think it's also important to emphasize the other things that we've said, which is to kind of, be kind, have patience, and give grace because there there's going to be a very wide variety of people who come out of this. I think, like you just described, I would have thrived in this environment. I am very much a goals-oriented person. Like, you give me a deadline when I was in college, I knew that I had an essay due for weeks, and I would not even start it until the day before because my mind literally worked best to kind of cram it all into once. If I spread it out over days, I actually found that my writing was less good, which is just a topic all <laughs> on its own. But, um, you know, I kind of overthink things. And um, anyway, it became more contrived. And um, that just became a way that I operated, which is not necessarily good for my health, as we've talked about on the show with that type A. Uh, but it was good for the essays. Yes, it was. Um But I think, you know, one of the things to remember is whether or not your child is going into kindergarten or first grade and you're overwhelmed at the idea of how are they going to learn to read and to socialize and some of the critical skills that are learned at that age or whether or not they're a senior in high school and you're wondering how does this even work with them getting into college and all of that kind of stuff. I think no matter what situation that we're in, your child is not the only one in that situation and the entire world is going to learn how to 
make accommodations and understanding for this very different environment. And we don't know what that looks like right now. But one of the things that I keep reminding myself is how amazing this next generation, what an opportunity they have to shape the world and the environment that they live in, because they'll have gone through life experiences that no other generation has gone through with technology advances that no other generation has had. And I have hope that while this is incredibly difficult and painful, you know, I always say that change comes when you're uncomfortable, right? Like no, Mm -hmm. no progress is made in a comfort zone. And I remind myself that the discomfort that we feel the, the pain and the challenges, I hope, <laughs> right, result in some amazing change that can happen from the next generation in the way that they look at the world and the way that they, you know, know what worked or what didn't work for them and trying to figure out how we can optimize it in the future. So it's what gets me through. <laughs> Um, you've brought up all these points. I'm just scribbling down notes. One of the points that you brought up was preparation for college and university. If you look today at universities, I did my um, MA in education um, online, completely online. Um, most university courses um, ha- or programs have some courses that are only offered online. So if you want to take that topic, you have to take it online. Sometimes um, a course can't fill up at one university. And so uh, they'll, they'll, they'll put it online and open it up to multiple universities so that they have enough students to actually create a, a, a good class dynamic. So going on to college and university it's really powerful to have this ability to already do things online. Um, my uh, youngest son had to do, because of a health issue, had to do quite a few distance education courses. And I remember him going into a school a school classroom the first week of school, and the teacher thought that while she was doing all of her administrative stuff to start up the school, she would give the kids this learning package, and she was sure that it would take a full week. Well, my son sat down, he, was, he understood how to approach this material, sat down, did it all, focused on it, had it done by the next day. The other kids, it was going to take a full week. So he went to the teacher the next day and said, so what's the next piece? Because he thought, you know, I'll do this and then she'll give me another one. She didn't have another one. And she, at first she just couldn't believe because she'd been using this strategy for the first week of school forever. It's a different kind of mindset. It's a different kind of approach and it's powerful learning and will prepare you for college. But also not just that, the trades. Most apprenticeships have uh, classroom learning that is now provided online. So if your uh, child is planning on going into uh, welding or plumbing or any of these trades that require an apprenticeship, they're going to be prepared now for doing those online courses. So in terms of future planning and preparation and then ongoing professional development is offered online for just about every field. You know, um, I know um, my accountant 
uh, my financial advisor, they've done a lot of courses online. So, so this is kind of the way learning is happening for adults and, and preparing kids young is just, it's just a wonderful opportunity. You also commented, uh, Stacy, about the social emotional development. One of the things that I feed, one of the, the, um, the, the things that people say about coming to distance ed is they can control their social environment. You know, the social environment in a lot of schools, bullying is a huge issue. Yeah. Um, kids really, you know, we, we like to think sending them off to school is this really positive experience, but for a lot of kids, it's traumatic. And um, kids, when they come to online education, especially with the way learning platforms are structured. Most teachers have administrative permissions. Uh, kids are given an email account within the system. They're given chat accounts within the system. It becomes easiest for them to chat with their uh, other students through that system. We, we as teachers have access to everything that that student does so we can monitor it really well. Um, and we can uh, and and kids when in the comfort and safety of their own home, they can turn the computer off. They can block a kid from communicating with them. They can get away and they are and they are safer than they're in the regular school system. So so, you know, it's a it's a huge equalizer being in the online environment. We don't know um, what gender a kid is. We don't know how old they are, what their ethnicity is, whether they have disabilities, what their appearance is, what their clothes are. Um, we can't necessarily tell what their what their academic ability is. Whereas in the classroom setting, you know, things get can get pretty cliquey, um, and it, it can get pretty rough in that in that face to face environment. So, so social emotionally kids feel tend to feel that they have more control over their social environment and they can turn off the distractions. I mean, we all remember that teacher trying to call the class to order when, when, um, when you first enter a classroom and everybody's visiting and saying hello to each other and ignoring the teacher, <clears throat> you know, all those strategies that the teacher turns off the light and everybody has to raise their hands, all of those kind of strategies. They're just not necessary in an online environment. So it can be a very, very, very positive experience. And, um, and because we're so, because this, the social networking piece is, um, is so ubiquitous, <laughs> um, it's, it's something that we're familiar with. And we're all, we all we come into this with so much prior knowledge in how to use a computer, how to use social networking. Um, and um, I think a follow-up to what Sarah was asking, when you go into this learning management system, it's just another website. You know, go in there and click on buttons and spend, you know, spend a couple of hours just, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? Just the same way you approach any any website. And, um, and that can get rid of a lot of the um, just taking that time to play, you know, that scribble stage where you just scribble around in, in, inside the, the website and figure out what it all does and how it does it. 
Yeah. We've actually um, recognized in our kids, especially Mira, who's who's 10 now, is that we had to facilitate a, a social connection piece for both of the kids. And so um, one of the things that, you know, Adele as a 13-year-old has been a lot better about, you know, setting up uh, FaceTime dates with her friends. But one of the things we did for both of them is we created a Zoom lunch table um, so that they have um, lunch with, you know, in front of their computers with um, their friends that they have really like positive, really functional (laughs) friendships with. Um, So they're able to have that sort of larger social gathering. It's, you know, four to six kids um, and that they can have this experience, you know, four or five times a week and, um, and still, you know, have that like gossiping about what happened in the classroom. Like they can have that, that piece. Um, and one of the things that's I, like, I didn't they, the kids figured this part out is that they've got a collection of games. That they've been able to figure out how to, uh, play either something like, um, Mad Gab, where like only one of the kids needs a set of cards, um, or they've got various like app-based games so they can zoom audio and then play with their, you know, they have codes so that they can make sure they all go into the same game together and they're playing these app-based games while they're socializing. So they've been able to find these, I think, really innovative ways to play. Um, even though everyone's in their own homes. And um, that has been really, really helpful for them, uh, given that they don't have the socialization piece of in-person learning. Yeah, I did um, what I called the Zoom social with my kids. And I always had about 15 kids show up. And we went and played... um, uh, Oh, Scrib, Scrib IO and, you know, Hangman and, you know, all kinds of fun games. And they just had every time they, they'd come back and they'd come back and they'd come back and they'd come back. And uh, very, very, very successful. Very, very successful. And what I loved about it most, I think, was the number of students that I had that I couldn't get them to come into the school because they had school anxiety and yet, from the safety of their home, they were participating with these other kids um, in the Zoom in the Zoom area, and uh, they could just so easily leave if they wanted to, and yet they would stay. It was just quite a wonderful experience. So, Mom, I feel like um, the theme of this episode is that you have managed to put this really positive spin on every concern that Stacy and I have brought up the entire episode. Um, one of the things that you have said over and over and over again is like developing 21st century skills. I feel like the thing that you're saying, if I was to distill this entire episode to like one thesis statement is that, um, is that you believe that the online learning environment that, um, is happening like globally could actually end up being a really positive thing. Yes, I think so, Sarah. You know, as teachers, we have been looking for ways to 
uh, have educational systems reflect society and where we are in society in the most positive ways, all the positive bits, um, and to transform. Like I, I, I had a professor when I was doing my undergraduate work who said one day, he said, you know, if, if Socrates was to come into our classroom right now, he'd know what we were doing. Because right now we are, we are following the same model over and over and over again. The teacher standing at the front, the students sitting and listening and, and uh, following the teacher's lead. And the beauty of what technology can do for us at this time is it has the potential, I think, to transform education. All teachers in the world, all teachers in the world, if you can imagine, are being forced to become very, very creative and use the tools to enhance the kind of pedagogy that they have already embraced. And it's, it's pushing the envelope, it's opening the doors to becoming much more um, embracing of learning and embracing of uh, people's interests and motivation and where they are as individuals, as learners. And there's so many options on in, using the technology that kind of help us to, um, to move past any limiting structures that we have, either as learners or personally. Yeah, I think it has the potential to be transformative, like permanently transformative, if change can be permanent, I don't know. Um, it, it's a pretty exciting time, I think, and uh, it has the potential to be just absolutely amazing. If we can just overcome, you know, the, the, the concerns that we were discussing earlier about uh, accessibility for all students to have the internet and to have a computer that works so that it disappears and and have those supports available for them. But even, you know, if you think of all the kids who can easily work from home, then that opens up the potential for kids who really can't, don't have those structures going into the school and being able to socially distance. Because I know yeah. in our schools, there's no way they're going to be able to actually socially distance. But if the kids who did have that support could stay at home, and uh, you know, and it, it like it forces administrators and it forces um, government um, policymakers to be creative. And I mean, they're being forced into being creative and 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 problem solving and problem solving quickly. You know, it's just that, <laughs> just yeah. that is you know is transformative. So there, there's so many areas where I think. Um, it can really work to society's benefit. I think the biggest takeaway for me is being open to creating a kind of pod in our home and setting aside the space and the time to really, especially in the beginning, set up a routine and a schedule for mm -hmm. this virtual school. Um, I, Sarah, I loved your idea of this zoom lunch thing <laughs> like immediately sending a text to the kids friends who I know they ate lunch with previously as soon as we're done with this call to set up something similarly because I think that 
it's just huge, and I loved the idea. Um, another idea that a lot of the moms in my neighborhood have been sharing is pictures of the spaces that they're setting up for their kids. And while we talked about children needing to have their own kind of dedicated computers and things like that, one of the struggles that I really had last year was that, you know, I was working in my office, and then I put a computer in all the kids' rooms and kind of trusted that they were doing their schoolwork. And I think I need to think of it less as trust and more about my participation as setting them up for success, that it's not oversight and it's not micromanagement, that I am ensuring that if they are confused or if they are struggling, that I am there for them. And so um, setting up like stations for them in a shared space where if I'm not there, that they can also leverage each other. Um, yeah. The other thing that I thought saw that was just brilliant, and I know from like a um, ADHD mom perspective, I just thought I'd share this, which is that um, if you set up their desks kind of the reverse of how you would normally set it up, so the desk is actually kind of in the middle of the room, and then the chair is leaning up against the wall, um, that would actually help my kids a lot, because I see them so much, and like leaning back of the chair, and moving their bodies so much, um, that the idea, I like actually chopped off my finger from a chair flipping over, that's a really, it's like a completely... Um, long tangent we don't need to get into, but it's like a trigger for me to see the kids kind of like leaning back in their chair. And so um, I think what I'm going to do is try to set up their stations kind of side by side, but their chairs against the wall and the desks out a little bit. Does that make sense? Because I won't be there the way that a teacher is all day long to be like, put your feet on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and Stacy also um, reduce the visual stimulation that they'll be looking at as well. Oh, yeah. One of those, the, another thing that I've seen is around the edges of the desk, getting one of those tri-fold poster boards and putting um, all the things that they need there, like a hook for their headset and a folder, like a physical folder that they can put papers or different things that they're working on in there. And um, what's the other thing on the other side? Maybe like a place for their pens and pencils, but essentially like doing a little craft activity with a poster board to kind of like visually set up the pod for them, um, which also sounds like a really good activity, kind of like a few days before school starts to get everybody back in the mindset, right? To like do that together, like let's create your desk, kind of like back to school yeah. in our loft. Um <laughs> We, we did a lot of um, like getting ready for school organization. We started a month out of, okay, school is now your bedroom. So how do we make your bedroom a good school environment? And it was basically, uh, it was basically me just finding another way to talk my kids into cleaning their rooms. Um, but it actually, you know, it was like, it's, it's the environment that you would do your homework at is not necessarily the same as the environment that you want to do a full day of school at. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate that both of my kids are self-motivated independent learners and they are doing really, really well in their own rooms with the door closed and, you know, just going, going to school and it's requiring, there's still a little bit of, uh, Hey, this technology is not working for me. And so, you know, kid will come out and come find an adult to help. 
Um, so there's still a bit of that. And we still have our, our big like debrief conversations. Like, what did you do today? What do you need help with? Uh, my oldest daughter is taking French this year, which is making my French Canadian roots super happy. Um, so she gets to have her own personalized French tutoring. Um, so we're still having that kind of involvement, but, um, but because they're so um, self-motivated and independent, they're mostly kind of like cloistered away in their rooms all day. I, mom, when you said um, that you find for many of your families that that group environment is the best environment for, for school, my mind was blown because that's not the way my kids learn, learn best. <laughs> um, and it, it just made me really, the, the main takeaway for me in terms of setting up an at-home learning environment is the same takeaway that I learned, you know, now a decade ago in terms of parenting was that it has to be individualized for that kid. And what works for one kid is not what's going to work for the next kid. And empowering our kids with the self-awareness to know how they learn best is such an important life skill. So I, um, I really... Like I, to me, that's just really exciting to be able to think of, you know, how my kids set up their desk. Stacy might be completely different to how your boys set up their desks. Um, like how they, you know, do they want their pens here or there in a box or in a, I feel like I've turned into a Dr. Seuss. Did I turn into Dr. Seuss right there? I was going to say yeah. that sounds there. like a Dr. Seuss poem. <laughs> no, everywhere. It's, it's totally the case. I had actually already decided that three of my boys would be best served in a uh, group environment um, mm-hmm. where one of my boys from a distractibility okay. perspective and for exactly, I, I loved Patsy that you talked about the frustrations of technology. I think another frustration that I saw happen at the end of last year as we tried this virtual schooling is that um, this particular child, if they felt like they didn't have the autonomy and the independence of Uh, what they perceived was appropriate for their age was frustrated as well. And so they were actually more successful when given the um, opportunity to do that on their own and show me that they could handle it. Does that make sense? So I think it's, it's really. absolutely. And we found that for over hundreds of students that when we were handing out computers to students at our school, um, we found that if we didn't lock them down, like the, like there was one technician who wanted to lock the computer down so that the kids couldn't an- add any software to their computer. You know, they couldn't add any games or whatever. And the computers would come back trashed. <laughs> but, but the kids who were allowed to add games to their computer, to their school computer, um, their computers came back almost looking cleaner and newer than when they had gone out. So, you know, having that, giving kids responsibility once again (laughs) is just, you get rewarded tenfold. Giving, Giving them that ability to be responsible for their own materials, their own workspace, and may and be involved in those decisions with, you know, it's not a free for all. It's the parent checking in and how is this working? And, you know, what, what are the goals? What do we need to work? Well, our goals are, are you learning? Are you, are you getting your assignments done to a 
level that you think is satisfactory and by the way that I would think is satisfactory, you know, and having those conversations. And it's um, it's it's actually a wonderful opportunity. A lot of families find that having those conversations around something that is education and it's not, um, you know, other even more personal stuff like that it, it's academic is, is just leans the conversation in a different direction and leans the conversation has the potential to lean the conversation into an area that can have more problem solving around it too. So it can be very positive. Yeah. Do you think that there, um, or rather, how do you suggest parents work with teachers to ensure that? Like I, as we kind of wrap up, I think what would be the most helpful for me is as I gave that autonomy to a child that did not succeed because they were, they were given too much freedom from yeah. more than they could handle. And I think that's another thing too, right? Is understanding if you're setting yourself, if you're setting your child up to succeed or not. And in some cases, more oversight or less oversight is necessary per child, age dependent, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in the case of this child, I actually found out that they didn't go to school. I'm using quotation marks, right? Because it was virtual school. But they didn't go to school for four days one week because, according to him, he couldn't find – the link had changed to get into the classroom, and he couldn't find it. And so he just, like, didn't <laughs> go to school. And the, the teacher didn't tell me that he wasn't showing up. Um, and so, you know, like, here I am, full disclosure, not not the, you know, most on top of it mom. I kind of, like, would look in his room, and he was sitting at the chair, and I was like, okay, thumbs up. Um <laughs> <laughs> but like, what is the best way to, you know, keep that dialogue open, not being a burden or overly needy on teachers because they have so much more on their plate than they've had before. But at the same time, like, you know, we need to have a dialogue about how it's going sometimes, you know? So um, you are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. Funny, I've heard this story before <laughs> a few few hundred times. Um, first of all, I think um, it's really important to recognize that a lot of teachers uh, are working from home and have children that they are helping with school because their children are also doing online. So, uh, so one, you recognize that probably your teacher is a parent trying to do the same thing. Um, or they might be a grandparent whose grandchildren are doing the same things. Um, so there's, there's that piece, know that you're in this boat together. And then I think um, uh, being grateful and being compassionate are two really helpful ways for approaching all communication um, to parents and to teachers and um, re recognizing just how hard everybody is working uh, to make this work for, uh, for the students and that students are our central focus. So I think, you know, the beauty of the learning management systems that we have is there is no question that is too simple to ask and ask it as soon as possible of the teacher with an email, with a, you know, an edited email and edited for compassion and gratitude. Um, and, um, and 
us, you know, you can you can uh, start your email by, you know, kind of like a newspaper article, start it with what your request is and then give the background information so that the email um, can be understood and read in context straight away. And, um, and you know, recognize that, um, that problems are going to come up just like that problem with kids, um, you know, the link doesn't work and whether the link doesn't work or not or whether they're just avoiding, it's, um, it's, it's something that they have to go through. It, it's something that your child has to go through. And, you know, if they don't go through it now, they're going to go through it at a later date, maybe without your support, you know, maybe when they're 30 years old, you know, that sitting on the couch. We often hear of, of uh, people, you know, suffering depression later on in life and, you know, sitting on the couch for days and weeks before somebody realizes, oh, my young adult son is sitting on a couch and not going forward. So, these are all skills that your child is learning and has the opportunity to learn now and to address now. And I think Dr. Ross Green says it really well when, I mean, I'm paraphrasing when he says that uh, kids do well if they know how. Kids can succeed if they know how. And so approaching anything like that as this is a skill that your child needs to develop still and look at everything as this is learning that we are doing. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. I love that so much. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that our school district has really embraced is growth mindset. And I think that distills that idea of, um, you know, it's a skill that, uh, you know, we've just revealed, this challenge has revealed a skill that we need to work on, I think is um, the sort of fundamental positive spin that uh, certainly I plan on bringing forward into this, into this school year. Um, hey, mom, it was super fun to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for letting me just geek out on my favorite topic. I appreciate <laughs> it so much. Thank you so much, Stacy. Oh, thank, thank you, you for sharing your wisdom and for joining us and taking the time. I am excited for you to tell us what you really feel um, for our Patreon subscribers. So if you are not yet part of our Patreon family, make sure you go check it out. And uh, we will be back again next week for those of you listening here and have made it through. Best of luck, whether you started school or you're planning for it. I hope you feel more prepared and empowered. Thank you again, Patsy. Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.